What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast. Here with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this final full week late October, the year 2022. Lots to do, lots to talk about here on this midweek program, including the New York Yankees saying goodnight for the winter. We will get into that. The Phillies win the National League Championship, defeating the San Diego Padres in five games. We'll get into that. And, of course, another weekend in the National Football League that was left the recap. Week 7, uh, the Ravens uh, keeping pace with my Bengals, taking care of business barely by the head of Chinny Chin Chin against the Cleveland Browns. The Bucks and Packers are anemic. The Jets and Giants keep winning. Uh, the Seahawks. Took care of business against the Chargers in our 4 and 3 to the surprise of everybody. The uh, Chiefs beating the living crap out of San Francisco 49ers. Dolphins beating the Steelers. And of course, uh, we preview Thursday night game we got uh, coming up within the next uh, day or two between the Baltimore Ravens and the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But where we will begin is with. The where we will begin is with um the baseball and the champ in a two championship series it was and let me tell you something isn't it good unless you're a Yankee fan but if you're an Orioles fan if you're a Rays fan if you're a Red Sox fan if you're a Blue Jay fan if you're a Houston Astros fan. Boy, was it a sight this weekend up at the Bronx. The New York Yankees are trash. The New York Yankees are garbage. The New York Yankees stink. The New York Yankees are out. The New York Yankees are overrated. And they, for the 14th year, about 13, 14, do the math. The 13th year in a row will have to watch the World Series on their couches uh, because yet they fell victim once again to the big, bad Houston Astros. And there are many flaws and many problems with this Yankee team that I will address within the next uh, 20 minutes or so. But before I get to what the Yankees should do for the future... Let me just say, the Yankees in this series were downright deplorable. They were deplorable. They were disgusting. They were offensive to watch. They stunk. They couldn't hit. I mean, this team was beyond bad at the plate. And don't get it twisted. The Yankees lost this series because they could not hit. Their pitching carried the load for as much as they possibly could, but the main culprit in the Yankees being home and not playing in the World Series and not being the 2022 American League champions, hell, not even playing in a game five, six, or seven is because they could not hit. Their hitting in this series was disgusting. It was disgusting. You, you, let's, uh, how do, and you say, well, let's count the ways, okay? Do you want to go back 
to game one of this series. You want to go back to game one of this series in which this team scored a unimpressive, unimpressive, because I can't seem to find it all of a sudden. Uh, here we go. Yeah, where the team lost 4-2. to 4-2. to Astros got the depth. Bader and Rizzo have a little home run, you know, hit a hit a home, you know, they get a little rally going in eighth and ninth inning. They can't get the job done in game one. Okay, fine. You lose game one. You always have game two. You go game two. Three run home run by Alex Bregman. I gotta hear excuses from Aaron Boone left to right while the roof was open. The, 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 the roof being open and the wind swirling in the building really killed us. I got to hear Severino make excuses. I got to hear Boone make excuses. I got to hear. I mean, I I, I got I to gotta hear. I got to hear every single Yankee player, except for Judge, every single Yankee player underneath the sun make excuses. Wasn't this team's motto at the beginning of the season that they put on the little Twitter page? You know, no more excuses, no more narratives, no more this, no more that. We're just gonna go out there and just play. We're just gonna we're just gonna play and kick ass and take names and win a championship. What what whatever whatever happened to 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 that Yankee team? Because yes, the Yankee team of the last five years doesn't have Roger Clemens, it doesn't have Andy Pettit, it doesn't have A Rod. It doesn't have all those players that those old Yankee teams back in the day made you hate them. The CC Sabathias of the world, not to say that he was hated, but you then the, the Mark Tasheras, they don't have those players on the on the team anymore. They don't have those players that move the needle that when you see them on your TV screen you instantly feel a certain way about them. They don't have those players on that roster. They don't have this they don't have this the t- the steroid taking fr- the steroid uh consuming cheats. They don't have that. Like the Yankee teams that did have guts, that did have gumption, that did have mental toughness did back in the mid late 90s into the 2000s. So Albeit we can sit up here and we can look at the Yankee dynasty of the past and we can say, well, this guy cheated, that guy cheated. Yes, they did. Led by A-Rod, which we get. But those Yankee teams back in those days had something that this Yankee team does not have. For one, that's a leader. And for two, they got dogs. And if you're on social media, I know you get sick and tired of seeing the meme and hearing the meme. If you're over a certain age group, he's got that dog in him with that X-ray photo of of of, of that dog, you know, kind of like poking his. So it, it it may be a stale meme at this point, but it's right. It's tight, but it's right. The New York Yankees have no dogs on this team. They have none. Garrett Cole is not a dog. And if he is, he's a poodle. He's a poodle bordering on a chihuahua. Make a lot of noise. 
got a little bit of bite, but he ain't that big. You put him in a room, well, you put him in a room with a bunch of Rottweilers and pit bulls, they're going to get their asses handed to them nine times out of ten. They have a bunch of excuse makers on their team. Well, the roof was open. We got screwed because of the wind. Uh, we we got to blame the ex the exit velocity wasn't that high on Bregman's three run home run that got out, which it got lucky. It's it's enough. It's enough. I got Astros cheated in 2017, which they did, but we got the fact we're still hearing about it five years later. I mean, it's, you're the Yankees. I mean, come on. It's the Yankees give you nothing but excuses, nothing but excuses, nothing but excuses, completely ignoring the fact, okay, ignoring the fact that this team, this team, okay, this team was pathetic. Think about it. they had to work. They had to work. To beat the Cleveland Guardians, they had the work. The Yankee, the Yankees report card isn't beating the Cleveland Guardians in a five-game series. They had to work to beat them. And when I look at this team, you know what I see? I see Aaron Judge, who, for as great of a regular season that he had. For as great as a regular season that he had, 63 home runs, arguably the greatest regular season a position player has had within the sport of baseball in my lifetime. Not including Barry Bonds when I was in diapers and he was on steroids. F forgetting all that, Aaron Judge and 36 at-bats hit 139 with two home runs, three RBIs, and OPS of 490. Are you kidding me? He is a career 211 hitter. Career 171 play appearances. He's played in the playoffs every year he's been in the league. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. He can't hit his weight in the postseason. And this year, he was downright deplorable. But he wasn't the only one. Giancarlo Stan, although he had a couple of clutch home runs throughout the Yankees postseason run, he hit 188. He stunk. You go ahead, you look at Glaber Torres, who is inept, doesn't hustle, somehow, someway, inexplicably fouled up the double play on Sunday night, who stinks, hit 176 in the postseason. Stunk. Josh Donaldson, who has zero business being on a Major League Baseball postseason roster in 2022. And I heard in the broadcast on on Saturday night, well, Josh Donaldson, American League MVP and experience, French toast that. I could care less what Josh Donaldson did in 2013 with the Oakland A's. I am not Interested. I could care less. In 2013, Chris Davis was one of the best power-hitting first basemen in all of baseball. Jai, what are you saying? I'm saying that what, that what Josh Donaldson did 9, 10 years ago means Jack Diddley squat 
in 2022. That is what I'm saying. And what I am saying is that in the postseason this year, he hit 172. Zero home runs, zero RBIs. He was atrocious at the plate. I mean, I got to sit up here and look at him Sunday night, moaning and groaning at Billy against an home plate umpire about a strike that was right down the hall of the plate at his knees. Donaldson, quit your belly aching and get the bat off your shoulders. Isaiah Conifalefa is no Derek Jeter at shortstop. And they, and they albeit... Gary Sanchez and his catching woes are a thing in the past. What's been their answer at the plate after Gary Sanchez? What's been their plan? What, Jose Trevino? Hitting, who hit 0-45, who, who hit 0-45 and 22 at-bats in the postseason. I'm not making that up. So you have a catcher who can't hit. You have your top two players, Judge Stanton, can't hit. Torres can't hit. Donaldson can't hit. Bader and IKF can hit, but they can't field. I mean, what the hell is Bader doing on Saturday afternoon? I mean, he and Judge, somebody's got to be the adult in the room Yo, I don't care if the person sitting in the upper deck can hear you. Okay, you got it, yo. I got it, I got it, I got it. What happens, no communication, and they got a couple of lucky breaks in the first two games of this series down in Houston. Nobody said anything, but I was in the pit saying, man, the Yankees are playing with fire here. If, it, if you know, one extra step or two, if somebody doesn't say, I got it at the last second, and all of a, and all of a sudden they're both on the ground and the Astros are running around, running around the bases. Lo and behold, same thing happens Sunday night. Or excuse me, Saturday afternoon. Bader and Judge miscommunication. Ball falls. And then somehow, so I, and this is why Garrett Cole never has been, never will be, at least at least what in, during his period of his, uh, of his career in a Yankee uniform, will never be considered a big-time starting pitcher. As a Yankee, at least. Because what does he do? Getting paid over three, getting paid... An egregious amount of money to throw a baseball. What is it? Over three hundred million dollars, something like that. And he sits up there and, and, and vomits, vomits all over himself. Gives up, gives up a home run. The next, gives up a home run. The next at bat to, uh, or get the next batter, I should say, to uh, Ch- to Chaz McCormick. I mean, really? I understand that's a mistake. And the error and and the fault goes to Judge and Bader. Be making all that money, Cole. You're supposed to be their ace. You're supposed to bail them out when they have those faults in the field. They couldn't hit. They're hitting with runners in scoring position when they did get guys on base was just as bad, if not worse. And what did I say heading into the postseason? The Yankees have got to avoid the empty calories and the empty, or as as I call them, empty calories, the empty home run. Okay, down 5 nothing, down 4 nothing, down 3 nothing is not the time for the Yankees to come up to the plate 
and start swinging for the fences and try to get the runs back via the solo home run. You gotta, we gotta face facts here with this team in the postseason, and that's what the Yankee report card. That's what their season comes down to. Nobody cares what the Yankees do in May, June, July, August, September. It comes down for this franchise what they do in October, and what they do in October is do nothing but strike out left and right at the plate and choke and vomit on their own spit, whether they're playing the Houston Astros or, in 2018 and 21's case, the Boston Red Sox. If they're not losing to Houston, they're getting punked by the Red Sox. Or in 20's case, when the Tampa Bay Rays owned them. Shout out to Brasso and Randy Arozarena. But they can't hit. They couldn't hit. Swing it for the fences left and right. I mean, they are not a resourceful lineup. What did I say heading into you? The way you win games in October, the way excuse me, the way you win games during regular season is not automatically going to translate into what, how you win games in the playoffs. Playoffs, you gotta be a little bit more resourceful. You gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta be willing to take a little bit more risks at the plate. And risks at the plate doesn't necessarily mean swinging for the fences every single time you step up to the plate either. It means laying bunts down. It means playing situational station-to-station baseball. Single here, single there, double here, double there, taking a walk, working the count. Yankees don't do that. They're hell-bent on hitting the ball out of the ballpark. And when they see their opponents beat them by hitting the ball out of the ballpark... It, the 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 issue becomes ten times more inflamed because Yankees say whatever you can do, I can do better. How dare you hit the ball over the ballpark? That's what we're supposed to do. The Bronx Bombers, quote unquote, and it makes them try even harder hit the ball out of the ballpark. Once they see an opponent beating them out, whether it be McCormick, whether it be Pena, whether it be. Bregman, you picked the player. So it's like it's like they take personal offense to it and they gotta try ten times harder to hit the ball out of the ballpark. We're getting back to my original point. They have no dogs. Where is the person within the locker room that's gonna stand up where the pants have the backbone, grow a pair, and say, look, enough is enough. And I don't mean having a team psychologist and Aaron Boone put up a highlight flick of the 2004 Boston Red Sox. No. Motivation and trying to get yourself off the deck is not rewatching old clips of baseball highlights from 2004. No, somebody has got to sit up here and have the guts, whether it be Stanton, Judge, somebody, because God knows it ain't Aaron Boone, who couldn't motivate me to take a piss on the side of the street, finish drinking a two-liter a two uh, two bottle of Coca-Cola. No, because it, it's not going to be him. Somebody in the Yankee locker has got to stand up, say, you know what, enough's enough. 
How many more times are you going to have to keep on beating our heads against the wall trying to beat these suckers? Somebody's got to stand up and say, look, whatever we've been doing the previous game, two games, three games, it hasn't worked. We cannot allow these chumps to walk into our building and straight up punk us in front of our own fans. How many times do we have to keep on going back to Houston and embarrass ourselves every single time we pick up a bat and walk to home plate? How many times? Boone is no leader. Boone is no motivator. He damn skippy can't manage the bullpen worth of crap. What is he doing taking taking, uh, taking Garrett Cole out? What is he doing taking Garrett Cole out? With the bases loaded. What, is, what is, Make it make sense to me. What is he doing taking Cole out for Trevino? Really? Really, Boone? You're, you're going to go down with the ship, down 2 nothing, getting sucker punched in your face in your own building yet, yet again by this team, and you're going to take Aaron Boone out. Aaron Boone. You're going to take get Cole out with the bases loaded. Really? On top of the fact you make nothing but excuse after excuse after excuse in the press conference. Your team doesn't also. Donaldson can't run the bases. Errors in the outfield. Errors at shortstop, second base, can't turn, double play, can't field a pop fly. I mean, this team, it, it is... If I was a Yankee fan, I'd go crazy. How in the world... What they, they they don't even play fundamentally sound baseball, and you expect to win a championship? Really? You're not even fundamentally sound in the field or running the bases. How in the world do you expect to beat beat the Houston Astros to win a pennant, and you can't field a fly ball or turn a double play? Oh for 6, runners on base Saturday night, left 7 on base. I mean, they were dead and lifeless on Saturday. Thank God for change. They showed a little bit of gumption, had the game in doubt a little bit. And game 4, but it was too little too late. You still had in the back of your mind, you was still going to somehow find a way and win this game. Because the Yankees, they, they, got, they, have no good, they have no dogs. They have no dogs. They have no rough riders. They have no gamers. They have no ballers. They, they don't have any of that. We just didn't talk about high-end talent and high payroll and all that together. Bottom line is, it's about the it's about the players. It's about the players. And the Yankees have nothing but a bunch of soulless, tin-man syndrome, rich, clean-shaven frauds who do nothing but piss themselves, embarrass themselves, and do nothing but strike out left and right and make fools out of themselves during the game's biggest stage that is playoff baseball. That's all it is. Judge had a fantastic regular season. American League MVP this year. Did nothing in the postseason. Nothing. 
But if you want to say in fairness to him, he he basically carried the team all season long. When is Stanton going to pick up the slack instead of swinging and missing every single pitch known to man? I've never seen, next to Chris Davis, I've never seen a power hitter more easier to strike out. All you got to do is put the ball low and away. He swings and misses at it every single time. Low and away, swings and misses every single time. Bader was the only, one, was the only consistent piece. Why it took him forever for that for, for 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 them to pencil in Bader hitting leadoff? I have no idea. But even when he puts the other couple performances at the plate, he sits up here and he looks like a and he looks like a moron on Saturday afternoon. It's disgusting, man. Disgusting. I'm happy to see it because I hate the Yankees, but I gotta speak. I can't. I can't speak and base my monologue simply based on what Jai Shields, the Orioles fan, thinks. I gotta premise my comments on what Jai Shields, the podcaster, the baseball fan, the baseball quote unquote analyst, thinks. But it's enough, man. In a certain degree, I feel bad for Yankees fans. To a certain degree, and with some of them. Not the fraud to sit up there and go rep the hashtag rep the Bronx and walk off the Yankee cap on as sort of like a status symbol symbol and I can count on one hand how many Yankee games they've sat down and watched from beginning to from beginning to end all season long. And the and the fraud Yankee fans that are out there, and there aren't many of them, you know who you are. Those are the ones that don't feel bad for oh we don't win. Well damn it, you only sit down and watch the games. What are you talking about? And the cocky, arrogant Yankee fans. And they know who they are. Part of me, small bit, feels for them. Because if you're a Yankee fan, it's like... You're literally seeing this team, dare I say, turn into the Dallas Cowboys in the Major League Baseball. A team that's more worried about making money, being a brand... And we're worried about it's it's the paying customer than the fan. And there's a difference between the two. They're more concerned about marketing off of their their tradition, than their history, and their past championships instead of trying to move forward and try to win a new one, another one. And that's been the story of this Yankee franchise for the last... 13 18 years They've won it they won it they won in 09 yes Say they bought one okay fine they bought one I mean think about it in the span that the Yankee who in the if I were to tell you say 4 years ago that the Philadelphia Phillies would make it to a World Series before the New York Yankees would, you would have looked at me cross-eyed. What? 
the 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 the, the Phillies no bullpen, bad defensive fundamentals, crash and burn the second half. The the Philadelphia Phillies gonna make it to a World Series. Put in, yeah, literally the same weekend. The Yankees' opponent from their last World Series appearance and championship have now have made it have fought somehow somebody found a way to make it back to the World Series for the New York Yankees. If you're a house Steinbender, is that what you're proud of? The Phillies made it back to the World Series before you guys did. And I'm not crapping on Philadelphia, Philadelphia Phillies organization. But you're supposed to be cream of the crop. And you and, and you and you got teams like the Kansas City Royals, the the the, the 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 Texas Rangers, the Detroit, you got those teams that have played in a more recent World Series than you guys have had. Hell, the Houston Astros have been in the American League what, a little less than a decade, and they've made it to more World Series than you guys have in the last fifteen years. Thirteen, but you get the idea. And even though you bought a championship in '09. So what? So so that's the yet that's the Yankee formula now, because we bought a championship one year. That 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 means it's got to be a formula. It's winning a championship every single year. No, the way the Yankees should win championships is, is the same way that everybody else should win championships. Homegrown talent that comes up through the system, and when it comes time for them to add pieces that they need. Whether it be veteran leadership or, or or the young superstar in the game, they go out and they get them because they're the New York Yankees. And oh, by the way, they can't afford to keep the homegrown talent for years to come. That's the way you're supposed to do it with the New York Yankees blueprint. Highest payroll in the American League. That's how you're supposed to do it. In a way, your method of building a championship team should be no different than the small slash mid-market team. The advantage comes in is that when you win the championship with the homegrown talent, you have the resources to keep the homegrown talent in the still in the Yankee uniform. Not to mention, you can go out, you can go out and get the superstar player or the veteran. You can pay them the big bucks to fill that that void. Within your starting rotation, your lineup, etc. The Yankees somehow have gotten it twisted where they think it's Madden Ultimate Team, NBA 2K, my team, Diamond Dynasty, and we just cherry pick players from everybody else's roster. We basically, you know, buy them off and we stick them in a locker room together, call it a team, and say, go out there and win a championship. No. We've seen that with the Brooklyn Nets in the NBA. That 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 method of building a team, that process doesn't work. We've seen it with the Lakers the last year and a half, how it doesn't work. The Warriors Dynasty. Why? Homegrown talent. Yes, they got the Kevin Durant, but that's how the Yankees are supposed to win. They're supposed to win with bringing in the big-name superstar to join forces with the homegrown talent, the Steph Currys, the Andre Iguodala's, the Clay Thompson's, the Draymond Green's, this year's version of the team, the Jordan Pools of the world. That's how you win championships. 
The Rams, same thing. Yes, you get Matthew Stafford from the Rams, but who were the other key focal points of the Rams championship that year outside of Matthew Stafford? Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, two homegrown, scouted, drafted, matured talents. That's how you win championships. And the Yankees somehow think that just because they got away with it the one year, that that should be the standard way and standard method of practice for building a championship roster. And I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that they are sadly mistaken. How Steinbrenner, Brian Cashman are sadly mistaken. Other than Aaron Judge, what big time superstar position player talent have the Yankees drafted, matured, mentored, coached up to the major league level. That's still on this roster after the ALCS sweep. Outside of Judge, who's a superstar. You can't name one. IKF came from the Twins. Bader came from the Cardinals. Donaldson, Blue Jays, A's, Twins. And the young talent that they do have that's homegrown, they're not any good as of yet, as of now. And they got and they got the manager. Bullpen management is atrocious. Can't motivate his players. Defends them to a fault. Clueless. Nothing but deflection and excuse making. Every single time you turn around, team isn't fundamentally sound. They're sloppy on the bases. Feast or famine, man, uh, approach at the plate. So, every the flaw with the Yankees starts from the top and works its way on down. Ownership, Cashman, Boone, then the team. In that order. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And the problem and the reason why the New York Yankees are going to be sitting at home, not participating in the World Series, and watch Houston Nationals yet again for the third time in the last five years celebrate a league championship beating them is because of leadership. The Houston Astros got in trouble with the cheating scandal and were forced to clean house. They didn't need to. They were forced to. And they still, still somehow, some way, nothing's changed. Charlie Morton isn't on the team anymore. Carrera isn't on the team anymore. Some players come and gone. McCullers is still there. Verlander's still there. Guriel's still there. Altuve, Bregman's still there. Managers have changed. It's the same result. Yankees, I understand Bird's not there and Sanchez is not there, but Judge is still there. The manager's still the same. Hell, they even got one of Houston's guys in Cole. Still the same damn result. 
And if the Yankees' approach and method to beating Houston, essentially buying themselves a championship-level team, all they're doing, they're stuck in the hamster wheel. The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Doing the same damn thing over and over again, expecting shit to change. And it's not. The Yankee franchise has to swallow their pride, look themselves in the mirror, and said the way we've gone about things has not worked. The young core we thought we had that was going to take us to another dynasty, another championship or so, they, they're not, they're not going to do it. There isn't that many of them left on this team to begin with anyways. Cashman has to go. Aaron Boone has to go. And if the Yankees really want to get serious, instead of being caught up in, on being relevant, being shown on, thir- on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, shown on Tuesday nights on TBS, shown on MLB Network with the showcase games during the summertime, being shown on Fox. They need to check check themselves, look themselves in the mirror, and look and pay attention to what's most important. Relevancy and selling tickets and being talked about or being a championship contender. The Yankees need to... Let Judge walk. They need to tear the whole thing down. They need to... And even if they bring Judge back, they literally have to shed every single piece of dead weight that is still on their roster. They waited... They waited... They waited for Chapman to show insubordination to get rid of him when he should have been gone back... In May. And they let Chapman. Act the fool. Pushing their hand to get rid of him. He should have been gone. The first month of the season. You gotta look. You can afford to eat the contracts. You're the Yankees. I don't hear it talk about, about luxury tax. You're the damn Yankees. There's no salary cap in the sport. Bite the bullet and cut your losses. Strip it down. Clean house. Donaldson says goodnight. Judge, goodnight. Somehow get rid of it. They need this chair it all down. As as down as they think they need to. Tear it down. I don't mean tank, but tear it down. So it's like a 80% different lineup. Tear it down, get rid of Boone, get rid of Cashman, start from scratch. Bitches infest more in your farm system, your scouting department, and build a Yankee team that's worthy enough to compete with Houston from the ground up. And I don't mean going out there in free agency and getting Carlos Correa or signing the Grom or sure No. Scherz is under contract, but you get the idea. No. You tear it down as best you can with the Yankee curve on it. 
I'm not saying tank, but you literally got to go look up and down your roster and 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 cut your losses. And that means you got to eat Donaldson's twenty-some million dollars. Fine. If that means Aaron Judge isn't a Yankee next year, fine. But Cashman has to go. Boone has to go, and this cannot be the same roster 80% by the time spring training opens in February if they're legit seriously interested and still legit want to beat the Houston Astros, get through them just to get back to the World Series. Because the way that they've gone about things for the last four or five years haven't worked. It hasn't worked. They've brought in Stanton. They've changed managers. They've shifted Gary Sanchez out of town. They've gotten rid of Chapman. They've gone to every single. They've. I don't want to say. Uh, I don't want to say scapegoat, but they've. They've gone to every single avenue of change they've had, except from where the real problem lies, and that's with the top. Cashman's done a hell of a job for the Yankee franchise in the twenty plus years he's been with them. It's time for him to go. Aaron Boone. It is time for him to go. How many more times are you going to have to see a team crash, burn, burn, and fall flat on their ass against the Astros until something gets done? Yankees have a choice. They want to be the Cowboys, be more interested in being a media talking point, selling tickets, relevancy, or do they still want to be the big bad Yankee franchise that that is held in high regard as one of the greatest sports franchises in the history of American sports. They have a choice to make. And it's up to Hal Steinbrenner, who ain't a patch on his father's ass, to stand up and have the guts and the balls for a change. Be the big man in the room to be the boss like his father was. Answer the rough questions. The tough questions behind a microphone, in front of a camera, and make some and make some tough decisions. Because you're in a situation to fit the Yankees where if you're not careful, you might you might not even make the postseason next year. You might not. Take a break. Damn, until I can tell you this party.
The Yankees' last five ALCS appearances. 2010, lost to the Rangers. 2012, they lost to the uh, Tigers. 2017, 19, and 22, they've lost to the Astros. First team the Yankees are in MLB history to lose five straight league championship series. If you're a Hal Steinbrenner, that's something you're proud of? And you think the solution is to bring Judge back and basically slap a uh, Band-Aid on a gunshot wound? Take it, Frank! Welcome you back to the Amazelica TIS podcast. I love that song. Every single time the Yankees get eliminated and when my Orioles beat the Yankees, I make sure I uh, listen to that song uh, because it is such a uh, great song, New York, New York, uh, by the great Frank Sinatra. The other team that is advancing to, and we will uh, preview the World Series on Friday's episode, since we got a, a excuse me a long uh, layoff, I will preview the World Series and give you my prediction um, uh, f- for uh, the World Series coming up on Friday. But the team that won the National League pennant, and that is the Philadelphia Phillies, somehow, some way. And I was ultimately shocked and surprised that they won this series in five games. I was really, really shocked. That the Padres weren't going to, did not win a game uh, on the road in Philadelphia over the weekend. I was extremely, extremely, extremely surprised. Um, you know they won. Get you know they won uh, game three after the Padres won game two. And I remember coming on here, uh, and if you remember, I came on here Friday saying, "Well, the Phillies will win." Game three will win game three at home, and then game four, uh, it'll be the Padres game. And then, you know, game five, you know, the Phillies will go up 3 2 and will head back to San Diego for games, uh, for game six and seven. And heading into the bottom of the fifth inning, it looked like that my uh, prediction and my hypothesis was going to uh, hold firm, was going to uh, hold firm and be true. 
until the Philadelphia Phillies went off in the in the bottom of the fifth inning with a four-run fifth inning, uh, and ju- and went absolutely uh, and went absolutely ridiculous. Reese Hoskins hits you know two-run home run to tie the game up at six apiece. Net here comes uh, and then a couple batter a few batters later here comes uh, Bryce Harper RBI double to give the Phillies the lead for the first for the first time all night gives them a seven gives them gives them excuse me a seven to six lead brings in uh JT brings in uh, JT Real JT Real Muto uh then Cast and Castellanos brings in Harper right after that. Uh, and it makes it a eight six ball game for for uh, Philadelphia, and that's essential. And that's essentially all uh, she wrote as my iPad with it plugged in, inexplicably, you know, decided to uh, say goodnight without realizing that I'm in the middle of a show, and that I need my iPad in order for me to, uh, you know, go off, you know, give me my stats and information, and everything else. Uh, so it's nice that we get that taken care of, but uh, but then they they uh, uh, Castellanos, of course, with a uh, with to bring in a Harper to made it at eight six. A Philadelphia advantage. They'd go on to take two more runs and win the fi- win the game by the final score of ten to six. It was a bullpen game for Philadelphia, uh, but you know, so by, by the fifth inning, it became a bullpen game. Clevenger couldn't, you know, didn't uh, get out of the uh, fir- didn't get out of the first. Martinez, Manaya, Garcia, Wilson, Moyron, uh went for uh, the Padres pitching. Uh, the uh, just to read you off these numbers right quick. Uh, just how offensive crazy this game was. Uh, combined nineteen hits. 16 runs. Uh he had five home runs in the game. Manny Machado, who has had who had a hell of a postseason for the Dodgers. Sensational job by him. Soto. Uh Reese Hoskins hit the two hit two home runs. Schwarber, Real Muto. Uh Schwarber, uh, just to read you, uh, and then in the bottom of the sixth inning, Schwarber solo home run made it nine six San Diego. And Real Muto put his own little uh, special flair on it. Hitting a solo home run in the bottom of the seventh, which puts the game out of which put the game out of reach, and that was all she wrote. Setting up the stage for a game five on Sunday, elimination game for the Padres, game that they uh, needed to win in order for them to extend the series and get the series back to San Diego for game six and seven. Uh, it was a pitcher's duel. It was a uh, not a pitcher's duel, but it, a lot less offense in this game, obviously. Compared to on a compared to on a Saturday night, only a combined eleven hits, combined seven runs. Good in good part because uh, in good part because of the fact that um, that this game that this game was played was was played not in a monsoon was what was played in heavy what was played in uh in in heavy showers. Um, and then if, and we'll get the bright and we'll get to uh, Bryce and we'll get the Bryce Harper here in a minute. Um, but uh, Alvarado pitched for Sandy, pitched for San Diego. Uh, he, uh, or excuse me, not Alvar, not Alvarado. What the hell am I talking about? You Darvish six runs. Uh, Alvarado uh, got the win for uh, for the Phillies. I'm reading the wrong line. Darvish six innings of work, six hits, two runs, five strikeouts worth of work, and Suarez came in in the uh, seventh and eighth inning. And uh, he got charged with the loss that ended uh, that ended up ending the Padres' season. 
Uh, the thing that uh, Rob Thompson got lucky, uh, very, very lucky, very fortunate for, uh, you know, because I would not under any of circumstances have taken Zach Will out of the game. He's dealing. He's he, uh, six innings of work, three hits. Two runs, eight strikeouts. Didn't have a uh, didn't have a high pitch count by any by any stretch of the imagination. And he goes out there and he and he and he takes a, and he takes him out to bring in Dominguez, who inning of work gave up a run, a hit, and we're also very fortunate that David and they were we're also very fortunate that uh, David Roberts that David Robertson. Then foul things up in his third of an inning of work. Walked two batters. Sloppy wild pitches all wild pitches and pass balls all over the place. You thought I thought right I thought uh, in some key moments of that game and the later innings before Harper's uh, before the big inning by Harper that the Padres had a chance to steal one and the pod and uh, and, and the Padres bats could not capitalize. They as a team went one for seven with runners on base, left six. Six guys on base, something that put something that plagued them, uh, that that plagued them in quite a few of their losses, uh, quite a few of their losses to begin the series. It plagued them uh, in that in their two nothing in their uh, two nothing shutout loss uh, in game in game one. It plagued them uh, many a times uh, during the um, during the dot uh, during the Dodgers series uh, about a week and a, about a week or so week and a half ago, uh, and the problems and that's one reason why I picked the Phillies to win this series is that the Phillies bats are more I like the Phillies bats because I found that they were more con- that they are more consistent and uh, and they have a little bit more pop in their lineup than the than the San Diego Padres do. Padres can the and I, I granted who in the hell at least I didn't. Expect this to be a quick, uh, to be a quick five-game series, but you know, but I reason again why I picked the uh, Phillies to win because the Padres have had their moments throughout this postseason, uh, leaving run, leaving runners stranded, leaving runners stranded in scoring position, and I feel that when you know you play with fire, especially in the playoffs, the Yankees obviously learned that lesson against Houston. You but you play with fire, stranding runners in scoring position more times than not. You know you're going to leave a lot of winnable games left on the table and nights and games where your bullpen doesn't do doesn't isn't too shabby and your starting pitching does just enough and, and performs well enough to put you in a situation to win the games and it's up for the bats. You know with runners on on the corners, runners on first and second, second and third. You know, to get guys home, you get the clutch base hit, the 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 single that keeps the inning alive, the 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 uh, the bulky double, the three run home run, and the and the and the Padres could not get that uh, Sunday, could not get that on Sunday afternoon. Top, it was a Juan Soto home run, Juan Soto, or excuse me, it was a Juan, yeah, Juan Soto home run that got him on the board to cut the Phillies lead in half two one. They tied the game thanks to a Josh Bell uh, double in the right field in the top of the seventh inning. Uh, factor in a couple, of, factor in some help from Sir Anthony Dominguez with a slippery baseball and a couple of wild pitches, uh, but they couldn't generate much off. They couldn't generate much offense on uh, on Sunday afternoon, and then and then uh, and and then you get J T Realmuto who gets on base in the bottom of the eighth inning, courtesy. Of a uh, courtesy of a 
uh, of a of a leadoff of a leadoff single, and then Bryce Harper to the opposite field, who's had a sensational postseason this year. I'll give you my more in depth uh, thoughts on him in a minute. But Ramuto reaches on a leadoff single. Bryce Harper to the opposite field, two run home run to put the Phillies out in front. And you know, moment there are moments in games, especially in playoff games, especially when they're late, when they come late in the game. Where you know where where a two run home run to put your team out by by a run can feel like if you're a opponent you're down ten runs because that's how much of an of an emotional uh, punch to the gut it is thinking that thinking that you had thinking that you were out in front all you needed was six outs Let's think about it six outs you had, you don't win the series mind you well like it was a game seven. Uh, but you had six outs to work with, and you were on a plane back home in sunny uh, San Diego, California for a game six. And if you win that, a game seven in your building, and you, in you know, in the best in the best case scenario, you walk out of uh, well, not the best case scenario, but you don't get uh, swept at home in, or excuse me, you don't get swept on the road in Philadelphia. And Harper, who sensational postseason, as Joe Davis brilliantly put it, the swing of his life hits a go-ahead two-run home run to uh, give the Phillies the lead. And they ended up winning the AL pennant uh, by the final score of uh, the NL pennant, in case I said AL. I think I might have said AL. But they win the National League pennant by the final score of 4-3. to three. Um, I do not understand Trent Grisham. And I, under, and I get it. He's been absolutely atrocious at the plate since the Mets series. But I, what is he doing, Bunton? I mean, you got your season on the line. We we trying to do, set up the stage for Austin Nola, who's hitting two twenty five in this series. I I mean, what the hell are you doing with your season on the line? Somehow, some of you guys have a last gasp, a last chance to literally steal this game from the Phillies and one more time get the game back home for Game Six to prolong your season one extra day, one extra uh, uh, travel day, one extra plane ride. And I got Trent Grisham Bunton, really, what is it, trying to set the stage for Austin Nola, who's, who's hitting barely above the Mendoza line. Seriously, made no sense. I understand Grisham hasn't hit since the Mets series, but I mean that Bob Melvin, uh, you know, was wasn't you know made it said after the game he was okay with it. Uh, Bob, wake up, okay. We we we're past the when bunting is good when you're trying to build a rally, or when you have runners on base and you're dealing with the extra innings rule, and you know you're trying to you know play station to station baseball and get a game based you know without having to having to have the upcoming hitter do too much regular season game you know automatic run on second base that that's fine and you know july 20 you know july uh 23rd uh, national league championship series october 23rd no when you have runners on base and you honestly need and you need a big hit something that you didn't have that you really hadn't had yet or excuse me Check that. You had one of them all game long, and that was Josh Bell in the top of the seventh inning. Outside of that, you haven't had a big hit of note since since uh, you know since the early innings of Game Four on set on Saturday night. And you're Trent Grisham going out there, Bunton. I mean, they they didn't they didn't have they didn't have. I mean, come on.
the last big the last big rally the 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 last big rally that the uh that the that the Padres had was in the was in the uh, top was in the top of the first inning when they put up four runs. You hadn't had a you hadn't had a big substantial inning since the top of the first in game four. And Jerks and Profile with your season on the line is going to bunt. I understand slippery infield, wet grass, uh, you know, slick ball, but still, I don't understand it whatsoever. I also could not for the life of me. I mean, you go out there, you trade Josh Hader, who was trashed when he got to the Padres. Finally rediscovered himself and got himself together throughout the back end of regular season. Was lights out in the Dodgers series. Was lights out uh, in the in early few in the in your in your in your win that you he pitched in he pitched in uh, game one right. I'm just uh, double checking just to make sure. Yeah, lights out in game lights out in game two was lights out in game uh, in game two and was perfect. Uh, it was pre- it was damn near perfect, if not exactly perfect, in the Dodgers se- in the in the Dodgers series in the round before. You trade for him, much to the chagrin of, to to Brewers fans, and the and the moves on the Brewers piece was highly scrutinized and high, highly criticized. And you go out, there, Bob, and we're pulling Buck Showalters now, leaving our elite relievers in the bullpen. Really, I mean, what the what the hell are you saving them for? Fan fest. For for a spring for a spring training game in late February against against the Arizona Diamondbacks. I mean, what are we doing? We saving them for opening day in March. I mean, come on, Bob. Come on. Pay attention. Why we? If he's got to. If he's got to. If he has to get a. Uh, if he has to get a uh, a six out save, so be it. Why is Robert Suarez in the game instead of Josh Hader? Made no sense to me whatsoever. Your season's on the line. All hands on deck. No excuses. But congratulations to the Phillies. And Bryce Harper reaches numbers before we hit the break and move on to football. Bryce Harper in this series... Hit 419, or excuse me, in the postseason, excuse, rather, because he had a sensational postseason. He's hit 419 in the series. In game, in game uh, five, he hit uh, two for four, of course, with the with the two-run RBI, uh, with, the t- with the two-run home run. Uh, once I, you know, my iPad wants to cooperate, I'll give you his uh, postseason numbers this season. Uh, I give you his postseason numbers this season here in a minute um this postseason he has hit if my thing would load it'd be great um but he's hit this he's hitting the postseason he's had a postseason for the ages 419 five home runs 11 rbis and ops of over a thousand i mean a sensational and this is a guy that granted took a lot of flack a lot of heat leaving the Nationals and going to division rival for the for the Phillies. He goes out, you know, Freudian slip. He goes out and says he wants to do everything he can to bring a, D, a championship to Washington D.C. And that very same season, his ex team first year without him goes ahead and wins a, and wins a championship without him after Harper had been there for years and couldn't make it out of the couldn't make it out of a first round playoff series. 
Harper, you know, and I at times came on the show, said on my Twitter page, uh, Twitter feed, he's one of the most overrated players in the sport. You know, he's, you know, for all the talent, for all of his physical prowess as a player, you know, he hasn't exactly lived up to expectations as of whatever moment in time I was saying it. Well, in 2022, he's injured, he's got the bad, he's got the bad, uh, He's got the bad. Uh, he's, he had to miss. He had to miss. He had to miss uh, time with the bad. With the, I believe he had a. He uh, he hurt his uh, wrist. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, let me just go back. Uh, go back and look and go back and look and double check. But miss some miss substantial time in this season. This team doesn't throw in the towel. Instead, they rally around each other. They they kick. Uh, Joe Girardi to the curb. They bring in Rob Thompson, and all of a sudden, here comes Bryce Harper. Uh, you know, sticking it to the Dodgers, the naysayers, and says, "Yes, I'm still here." And finally, baseball for a change out of the Harper Trout. You know, the you know because they for the longest time, you know, uh, everybody had had them uh, had them joined at the hip. Harper and Trout, Harper and Trout, Harper and Trout, who's better, Harper or Trout? And Bryce Harper goes out there, makes the postseason again for the first time since 2000, uh, for the first time in about four years or so, and he, and he gets the uh, and he gets the Philadelphia Phillies to a World Series and wins them a National League uh, championship. And this is even, I don't want to say impressive, uh, but he's doing it at DH. We forget Bryce Harper is a Bryce Harper is an outfielder. All right, cover a lot of ground in the outfield's got a good arm, strong arm. He's doing all this this year, DH. When Bryce Harper will see the field, I, you know, I I guess that's a, that's a discussion for 2022. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. He's putting all, you know, he's doing his job being a hell of a DH at the top part at the top part of the lineup. So why, you know, so why screw it up at this point? But um, but he's had an absolutely sensational postseason and deserves all the credit in the world. Just want to double check and make sure uh, what the what the injury uh, was this season. Uh, it was a thumb. He had the uh, he had the thumb and he missed six to eight weeks with a bad thumb. Okay, so one of his wrist it was his thumb. But anyway, thumb wrist doesn't matter. Bryce, it sure as hell hadn't bothered Bryce Harper one bit as he's just been kicking ass and taking names throughout the uh, this magical postseason run for the Philadelphia Phillies. We take a break. We turn our minds to the National Football League, Week 7. This is the Amtelica TIS Podcast. Machine guns ready to go. I 
Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the National Football League in Week 7. That was over this past uh, Sunday. Begin with the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens taking care of business, keeping pace with my Cincinnati Bengals and still maintaining that first place lead via tiebreaker over them with a 23-20 victory over the Cleveland Browns. To give you a couple uh, takeaways I took from this game. Um, First off, I I am, and I don't know if you Raven fans feel the same way as well, but I am getting so sick and freaking tired of seeing the Ravens run this Run the run this p run this play action. Not even not even not even play action, but running the QB rollout bootleg play, where Lamar where they have it's either trips right or trips left, and they have Lamar Jackson takes the hikes the ball from the uh, hikes the ball from the center, uh, and he's got the ball in his hand, and he and he and his first instinct not to drop this, not drop back to pass and look and try to find an open receiver. It's ball gets from the center, it's rolled to his left, rolled to his right, and and you know, and it's a pass pattern where he's got to you know trying to find the open receiver. I am so sick and tired of of seeing the Ravens run that play. I am so sick of of that QB rollout play. I saw it. It didn't work against the Packers last year when they had Tyler Huntley. It didn't work in the red zone when they played when they played Buffalo earlier this month. I am so sick of seeing the QB rollout play on the third and the fourth and shorts inside the red zone. I'm sick of seeing it. The Rave, Greg Roman, the genius, called the play. It was 3:35 in the first quarter on a third and three. Ravens had about the 14 yard line. They have trips they get shotgun formation trips left all the wide receivers to the left of the hash Lamar Jackson takes the ball rolls to his left towards the cloak towards the the uh to towards the near sideline uh, you know and and it'd be one thing if Lamar Jackson were to roll to the left or roll to the right and all the receivers routes on the opposite direction no it is a piss poor play design where all the receivers stay on the same side of the field and basically stop moving. One or two of them maybe keep on running, but they stop moving. They stand there like a statue wanting wanting Lamar Jackson to get the ball, and there's literally all the, and you see all the opponents, linebackers and secondary, literally shift with the Ravens wide receivers to that one side of the field, and the play 90% 90% of the time, it doesn't work. What happened, Lamar Jackson rolls to his left, trying to find a receiver. He overshoots a receiver that was that was in good coverage by Cleveland, and essentially everybody was uh, was was defended. Those incomplete pass, Ravens had to settle for a field goal, and that was after the Cleveland, and that was and that's in the same first quarter where the Cleveland Browns marched down the field, opening possession, 11 plays, 75 yards, took six minutes off the clock, and put the ball in the end zone. And the Ravens, and the Ravens, you know, opening, he got, I mean, he's settling for field goal. I mean, really, really, Greg Roman, I mean, is is that is that what we're still doing now? I mean, how many times do we have to see the QB rollout play before you realize and get a clue that it doesn't work? The wide receiver, you don't have your, your, I could see if, I could see if it's split, 
two two on one side, two on the other side. I could see if Lamar Jackson rolls to one end of the field and they're lined up on the same side, but they all run to the opposite side. So Lamar rolls to rolls to his left or rolls to his right, and the routes are and the routes are start at one at the side of the field he's running. But it's almost like Lamar is chasing him. So if Lamar is rolling to his right and it's trips right, the receivers are running routes across the field while Lamar is rolling to his right and he has an opportunity. You know, maybe see, see if there's a if there's a Breaking coverage. Nobody has the safety. Uh, you know, the safety isn't covered back deep. If they're playing cover run, cover zero. If they, you know, if there's nobody covering the middle of the field, maybe he can see if he can see if he can pinpoint a pass up the seam. No, we don't get that. What we get, we get Lamar, Lamar, and the trips and the trips left to the trips right. Ball snap. Lamar takes the ball. He doesn't drop back the pass. He takes it. Runs to runs towards the runs towards the near the nearest sideline. The wide receivers, two, three, what, two of them, you know, they run about five yard routes and they stand still. And the other one is, you know, trying to make something happen. Tally covered, and it's sort of, and it gets to the point where, you know, you, you, you know, where you can't really take that much of a chance because you don't have that much field space left to work with, whether it's back in the end zone or you're right on top of the sideline. I am so sick and tired. The Ravens, I swear to you, they run, they run that play every single time you turn around when they're inside the red zone. No wonder in the last few games why. Why they, why they can't score in the red zone? Because if you're calling plays like that, I mean, it's enough. It's enough. It's easy to defend. I mean, come on. How, how you gonna sit up here and run a play where literally every single offensive player is on is on one side of the field? Bad enough the field shortened to begin with because you're in. Well, not bad enough, but it's harder to. to it's harder to. To uh to score and throw the ball with the short field anyway because you're inside your opponent's twenty yard line, and then the rollout plays where everybody essentially is running to the same side of the field. Uh, the, the Ravens call that play way too much, way too much. I'm sitting up here watching. I'm like Ravens, like what really? Like third and three, and that's the best play you come up with, Greg Roman. Holy gosh, Almighty! It's it's it's. It's just dumb and insane football. I re- I just do not understand it for the life of me. The Ravens defense did a hell of a job. Uh, did a hell of a job. Did a hell of a job getting after Jacoby Brissett. Five sacks in the afternoon. Uh, did not do a good job though. Jacoby Brissett was twenty two for twenty seven. Threw for two fifty eight. Nick Chubb. Uh, it was really getting after Jacoby Brissett. Was the only bright spot for the for these uh, for the Baltimore Raven uh, defense for the most part was getting after him. Jacoby Brissett, I thought he threw the football very well. Had a couple of nice passes to uh, to uh, to uh, Amari Cooper, which set them up inside the Ravens. Or excuse me, inside their inside the red zone uh, to uh, which helped set up the uh, Nick Chubb touchdown. Also, he had a nice throw which got themselves into Raven territory. Uh, well, a completed pass down the sideline to Donathan Peoples Jones. So I thought Jacoby Brissett, you know, he didn't throw any uh, any uh, back breaking uh, interceptions. I didn't throw any back breaking interceptions. Did get sacked five times, but thought he threw. I thought he threw the ball exponentially well. Uh, and the Cleveland Browns did a hell of a job running the football. Nick Chubb, sixteen carries, ran for a touchdown, ninety one yards uh, on the ground. But I mean, but. Uh, I, I still can't get over the you know, third and three 
we're running Q, we're we're running a QB rollout plays. It, it's just I can't. Oh my gosh, Almighty! It's it's. It, I mean, and then the Ravens sit up here and they realize, well, we can't win, can't do this, can't do that. It's stu it's stupid play calling. No wonder the Ravens fans go go cuckoo for cocoa puffs over Greg Roman because you sit up here and you see him and he calls and he calls dumb crap like this. Absolutely ridiculous, but they that uh, but the Ravens defense defensive front their uh, defensive line uh, did a hell of a job uh, getting after Kobe Brissett. The Cleveland Browns ran the football well. The Ravens on the offensive side of the ball uh, on the offensive side of the ball they ran the ball okay, not great. Uh, and this was a game that really you know you know that the Ravens. Lamar Jackson. This is what his fourth straight game where he, where it's been where it's been uh, piss on the on the uh, scale of uh, substandard to piss poor. I mean, nineteen for sixteen, a buck twenty, uh, and three and three sacks. I I could care less about the fact ten carries fifty nine yards. Bottom line is Lamar Jackson had a very bad day at the office on uh didn't no inter no uh, horrendous interceptions like you saw against the Giants which you saw against the Bills but you know throwing the ball sixteen times nine to sixteen one twenty three sacks and you had a pedestrian day running the football as well. I mean that is not that that is that that that's that's not good whatsoever. And I tell you that's not gonna get the job done against the uh that's not gonna get the job done against the Buccaneers coming up on Thursday night. So the Ravens offense gotta do a much better job. Uh it's gotta do a much better job offensively heading into Tampa uh and against their defense which is which has hit the wall realistically since the uh since the Packer game. Uh you gotta do a better you, you gotta do a better job than that for the Ravens defense. I mean you can I understand Justin Tucker's the greatest kicker in the world, but it's almost as but it's almost as if the you know, that the with the Ravens having him on the roster that it's worked that it's working that it's to a fault that it's hindering him that it's hindering the Ravens more than it is hurting them. Because you go ahead and you look you go ahead and you look at their first few drives of the game, first two first Three drives of the game, you know, two out of three of them are field goals. First drive, nine plays, 61 yards into the field goal. I mean, one field goal, two field goal. I mean, uh, three field goal. I mean, it's just they only they only, they only scored two touchdowns in a game. On a consistent game in game out basis, uh, one two touchdowns ain't going to be good enough to, if the Ravens want to get to where they want to go. That that's not going to be good enough. Got to yeah, they got to be able to put the ball in the end zone, uh, score more points. Lamar Jackson got to throw the football a lot better than he did. Throw it more than sixteen times. Uh, running game's got to be a little bit more fluid. I understand you know that they had um that they had Gus Edwards back for the first time. Gus Edwards back for the first time in eons. He's just just getting his legs underneath them and God knows when will be the next time we'll see um JK Dobbins. But that listen, when you're when you're not when your running game, which is the Ravens strong suit, has been taking it has been taking its hits, it's been taking its lumps and it's down right now and it's not as strong and not as good as what it used to be. That's where Lamar Jackson's got to step up and take it and underneath him. So I understand that you know that they got Deshaun Jackson off the practice squad and he didn't play on uh, on Sunday, but Lamar Jackson's got to play better. He's got to do a lot better job throwing the football, a little, a little bit more accuracy, hit his open receivers downfield. 
And another thing, too, that I also don't like, and it goes back to the three sacks, hold on to the football way too long. Lamar, if the player's not there, you have the ability. You got to tuck in and run a lot sooner or throw the ball away. I mean, he, Lamar Jackson's running around in circles trying to make something happen. That's what got him in trouble against the, the Giants week before. He, he is looking to throw, to throw the football and trying to make something happen downfield with his arm. But the play's not there. You gotta throw it. You either gotta make up your mind to either throw it away or tuck it and run like hell. Because when you hold on to the football and trying to make something happen, no good comes out of it. Like we saw obviously with the, uh, in the giant game the week before, uh, the Hills fumble nearly costed the Ravens in the back end of the fourth quarter. I'm sitting up here watching. I'm like, oh boy, here we go again. The Ravens fumbling the game away, literally uh, blowing yet what we thought was almost another double digit lead. Um, and they, but they're, but they weren't, but they're able to keep the Cleveland Browns out of the end zone and were able to uh, keep York from making a, a chip shot, uh, field goal. The thing is, the thing is though, that I got to say, uh, I did not, I must have see, I saw it about like four times. I didn't see a false start or a quote unquote snap infraction on the, uh, on the initial 56 yard field goal. I did I I didn't see. I didn't see the ball move. I didn't see an offensive lineman move. I thought I I like to me, you know, that the Raven that the Ravens got lucky with one. That's just me. Look like look it looked like to me that they got lucky with one. I didn't see a false start. I didn't see a snapping fraction. I saw I saw a whole bunch of Ravens defensive linemen on the on the punt block team. The punt block, the field goal block team move. I didn't see I didn't see a Cleveland Brown move. And had, and had and and if and honestly I think that play would have been ruled would have been called correctly. The Browns would have had a fifty yard field goal and they might have ended up tying the game. Who knows? But the Ravens escape and move on to uh to Tampa coming up in the next few days. Short week having to fly down to Tampa. Uh, and and that Thursday night game as the road team is always a a, a sticky situation. Uh, you know, you go and look at the the uh, not kind of kickoff game because that's the first game of the season. But the Chargers, the Chargers have lost. The Dolphins have lost. The um the uh, the the, uh, the um. The Saints have lost, so you got three road team. The three road teams have lost on Thursday night this year. The only exceptions have been the Colts and the uh, and uh, and the Washington Commanders. The road teams went on Thursday night, but more times than not, you got the home team that's the advantage. Uh, that's the advantage for these uh, Thursday night games. We'll, but we'll get into the Thursday night game a little bit later on. Uh, the Tampa Bay. The, the, I'll do the Buccaneers second and do the Packers first. The the Green Bay Packers, ladies and gentlemen, they stink. They 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 they're all their defense, which I thought was going to which was uh the their offense, which I thought was not their offense, their defense, which I thought um uh you know might be might be their saving grace, their defense with with all the players they draft out of Georgia and they go out here in the draft and they invest their multiple first round draft. I said, Oh well let me see, you know, let me reserve judgment. Maybe this defense be something. And then they spit the bed against the Vikings in week one, have a couple of nice performances here and there since then, but they've fallen off. You know, I, this is a Washington commander team that couldn't move the football. I understand Carson Wentz, bad thumb, 
and it was Carson Wentz against the Bears. But this is a team that this is the offense that couldn't move the ball against the against the Bears. Ten, nine, ten days prior, they couldn't move the ball against the Bears, and all of a sudden, and Grant Taylor Heineke had a god awful, awful first half for Washington. Bounces back in the second half in total 20 or 33, two on one, two touchdowns, one interception. Had a god awful first half and does what Tyler Heineke does against all odds, back up against the wall. You got him on the ropes. He, New York, New York Yankees, you want players that play with the heart of Taylor Heineke. You want guys that got dogs in them, rough riders. Guys aren't going gonna, aren't gonna to go down easy. Yeah, they have a rough first five innings, first few at-bats. Yes, they have a rough half, second half, third quarter of football, second half, second quarter, third quarter of football, but they aren't going to go down without a fight. Until that clock is triple zero, they're going to do whatever they can and do the best to their abilities, turn the tide and change and change their performance and their impact negatively to positively on a game. That's what Taylor Heineke did. Hell of a job by him. He and Terry McLaurin, you can tell, dynamic quarterback wide receiver connection between the two of them. Terry McLaurin, five receptions, 73 yards, uh, caught a touchdown pass on the, on the, uh, on the afternoon as well. Uh, ran the football decently as a team ran for 166 yards. Uh, Robinson Jr. 20 carries 73 yards uh, on the ground. But back to Green Bay, their defense. Defense is overrated, 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 overrated. They, you know, allowing 23 points to Washington, who couldn't move the ball against Chicago the week before. Uh, you know, they gave up. They gave up uh, 27 points to the. Uh, not not granted. Special teams gave up a touch. Gave up a you know gave up a touchdown on a punt block, but 27 against the Jets allowed over 20 points. Allowed they gave up uh, 27 points to the Giants in London the game before that, and then 24 points. I understand Rogers still pick six, but over, I mean you've had you've had one, two, three. Four consecutive games in which the Green and which the Packers have allowed twenty points or more, five times this season. If you include Week One against Minnesota, they gave up ten points to Chicago and twelve points to Green to Tampa. That's that's been that's been Green Bay with their defense. That's been Green Bay's best performances. Week Two, Week Three against Chicago and against Tampa. I mean, really. The Chicago Bears and then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have been, who have been offensive offensively this season. Seriously, it's not something to be proud of. If I was a defensive player for the Green Bay Packers, that's just their their defense is all. They're it's just just bad. Allow too many of the big plays. Get beat man to man like you saw with Terry McLaurin, especially. Uh, converted that clutch third down to put the game to put the game away. Terry McLaurin came back to the ball, hell of a catch near the sideline, kept his feet in bounds. The, the sec- secondary doesn't look uh, secondary isn't as is not as good as advertised. Green Bay Packers got issues on defense. On top of the issues that they have, on top of the issues that they have on offense, because their offense is 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 just as bad. It's just as it's just as bad. I mean, there is no, there is no synergy. There is no chemistry. There is no connection with Aaron Rodgers and any of his of his young wide receivers, whether it's Jones, whether it's Watkins. 
dubs nobody. There's no connection, no symmetry, symmetry, nothing. Nothing. And if you're Aaron Rodgers, you cannot sit up here and hang your head, say, what the F are we doing to the sidelines? Piss poor body language, sulk, mope, hang your head. You can't you cannot do that when you sit up here and you miss the opportunity back in the offseason to put in some extra work with these guys during the summertime. Okay? You're Aaron Rodgers. You cannot sit up here and, and sulk and hang your head. No. If you knew what you were going, what you were getting into, you put in the work ahead of time to make up for the fact that they're young and they're inexperienced. You make up for it. You overcompensate by putting the extra work in on the front end, so you don't have to pay for it in the back end during the season in September, October, and soon to be November. But Aaron Rodgers too good for that. Thus, he's reaping the consequences. Took every nickel off the table when he decided to come back to Green Bay. Thus, bye-bye Devontae Adams, who apparently was 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 the was the straw that stirred the drink known as the Green Bay Packers offense. Because God knows they haven't been able to to muster anything with their receiving core. And what in the world? And this is where you got to go to Matt Lafleur and give him some of the blame. What the hell are we doing throwing the football 35 times with Aaron Rodgers and you, and you guys only ran the football 12 times? Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, supposedly, I thought, one of the best one-two punch running back tandems in the sport. A.J. Dillon gets four carries. Aaron Jones only gets four. Excuse me, only gets eight. And A.J. Dillon gets four. Really? You run the football 12 times? 12 times. And expect to win games? One-dimensional offense and your one-dimensional offense, the area that you're making that you're that you're that you're force-feeding to, you know, by making it one-dimensional is not that good. So the fact that you're not a balanced offense already is a huge problem and the part that you're Force feeding and forcing the issue with such as the passing game isn't good. Falls on Rodgers, obviously, the starting quarterback. It also falls on Matt LaFleur, the head coach, the quote-unquote savvy offensive-minded guru, which I, fa- which I find to be a complete load and hunk of crap, but it's on him. He's the head coach. I don't care about buddy-buddy with Rodgers and saying things that, that makes him tinkle, that makes him feel good, that makes the hair on the back of his neck stand up. No. French toast that. I don't care about his feelings. I don't care about his ego. He, sometimes as, as a coach, you got to be able to tell these guys, you got to tell them what they, what, what they need to hear, not necessarily what they want to hear. It's like a parent. Yes, you want to get along with your parent. You want to have a friendly type relationship with your parents. But, and I'm specifically talking about in that adult, in that, you know, when you're a kid, when you're underneath their guidance, when you're, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years of age, up until you graduate high school, move on, either move out of the house or go to college. 
Yes, you want to have that friendly relationship and be close enough where you can share what's on your mind and vice versa as if you are friends, as if you are equals. But the bottom line is you're not. You're the parent. You're the child. Matt LaFleur, you're the head coach. Aaron Rodgers, you're the quarterback. You're the player. You answer to him, not the other way around. So although you guys are close in age, buddy, buddy, this, that, and the other, bottom line is he's the boss. Okay? Not every single time Aaron Rodgers need, needs to be getting his ass kissed. Sometimes he, need, he, need, he needs to be cussed out and had his feet held to the fire like Brady had to deal with with Arians, like Brady had to deal with with Belichick. Rodgers, not Rodgers, uh, you know, like like all like all the quarterbacks. Rodgers and McCarthy back in the day, Wilson and Pete Carroll. It's how it's supposed to be. And if there's any issue, and if there's a, a glaring issue that's a, that that's a part of the reason why this football team hasn't done anything is because from an outsider's perspective, Matt LaFleur soft as, as, as soft as Charmin toilet paper on Aaron Rodgers. Don't, doesn't hell his feet to, a, to the fire. You don't see that Parcells, Phil Sims-like relationship between the two of them. Or the Bradshaw, uh, Chuck Knoll dynamic. Being that hard ass. Holding them accountable. Holding his feet to the fire. Making sure just because you're the star quarterback getting all the love, all the attention, and your jersey's selling off the rack, you're no different than the, the you're no different than the than the than the than the sixth cornerback on the depth chart. And I feel like LaFleur enables this foolishness. Rogers shucking and jiving and picking and choosing what work he isn't gonna choose. And I get it. No harm, no foul. He doesn't have to do it. But at the bottom line is being great and being an immortal, especially in the sport at this position, it's not always about what you feel like doing or what's great or what's convenient. No, no. You put the work in and you do what needs to be done because it's the right thing to do if you want to be successful, if you want to be great, if you want to be an immortal and be on that level that Rodgers holds himself in and a level to which Rodgers wants everybody else to hold himself in. Bottom line. You don't sit up here and and think, well, I don't, well, you know, I'm not going to participate and deal with the rookies and deal with the no names during the late spring, early summer, and then think, come week one, everything is going to snap all into place. No, 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 no. It's not how the real world works. It's not how the real NFL world works. So I got to blame the floor for that. Not the not the not only is this offense one dimensional and predictable as hell, they for whatever the reason are so damn trigger happy to 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 to, 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 to stop running the football. But the, he also enables Rogers' foolishness. Just my take, my perspective on it. And do I need Aaron Rodgers going out there and throwing his teammates underneath the bus to Pat McAfee on Tuesday afternoon? Do I need to hear that when he in the first half was 8 for 14 to 46 yards, was downright disgusting in the first half, and I got, and I got to hear Aaron Rodgers 
tell Pat McAfee, among other things, and I quote, guys who are state shouldn't be playing, guys start cutting some reps. Really, Aaron? Really? When you've played like putrid dog shit to begin the season, and you were disgusting, and the Jet game weren't that great, couldn't score any points against the Giants week before that game, and you weren't anything to write home about against Washington on Sunday. I got here Aaron Rodgers throwing his teammates underneath the bus <laughs> to Pat McAfee. Uh, I mean, and 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 and, and trying and trying to play head coach and G and, and uh, slash GM. I mean, you must, you must be kidding me. The set of balls on this, unbelievable. Timmy Buccaneers aren't that much better. Tom Brady falls to three and four on the season. Uh, the Buccaneers are just, and, and 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 it's a similar problems with the Buccaneers as well. You know, Mike Evans, he nor anybody else on the Tim Bay sideline should have a mindset to where he somehow inexplicably drops what would have been a, a, a 65-yard walk-in touchdown catch from Brady in the, to begin the game against Carolina. There's no, there's no excuse no excuse whatsoever. And I, him saying it, okay, whatever. The fact that 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 him dropping that pass as early in the game as it, as it was, him dropping that pass and him basically saying that it took the air and the energy out of us, out of me and our teammates and everybody else on the sideline for a champ for Tina Shana contend for a championship. That is com with Tom Brady on it. That is completely. Totally and utterly inexcusable. Inexcusable. Another thing. F also falls on Todd Bowles. Oh, excuse me, on a head coach, which in this case is Todd, which in this case for Tampa, Todd Bowles. You know, instead of standing there like a bump on a log, not showing any emotion, no inflection in his voice, no nothing. And I think that's also part of the problem with uh, with with uh, with Tampa this season, and and with Brady. I get the inner feeling that Brady essentially has to play, you know, like in a you know in a something you know in a broken home or in a dysfunctional family where either the parents where either the parents break up. Or or one or two or both of the parents are 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 drug addicts or alcoholics and they gotta check in the rehab and they aren't and like ninety percent of the time they're never in or they're never in a sharp state of mind and 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 one and one of the children typically the oldest one has to has to play the role of 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 mother or father. Uh, and, and 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 be and be the and be there and be their younger siblings sibling and parent at the same time because there's no leadership from the actual appointed leadership position within the household i get from an outsider's perspective i get a similar feeling with the San Bay Buccaneers team Todd Bowles is another one couldn't motivate me to take a piss on the side on the side of a street i mean no emotion no emotion, no passion, no fervor. He doesn't. He and he, he. You won't find him like Mike Tomlin sit up here. You know, with 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 that firm, with that firm, 
loud voice, you know, that's got some presence, that's got some oomph behind it, saying, no, not going to tolerate this. No, this is unacceptable. We will be better. We must be. You don't hear that from Bowles. It's just stand there. His voice doesn't go up or down. Face always the same. No smiling. No, no, he is, he's never truly pissed off or, or, or incensed. It, it's, it's, it's just the same. It's just the same even keel. No wonder he wasn't, no wonder he wasn't any good with the Jets. I mean, uh, I mean, come on. So I think that also plays a part in Tampa's problems too. That Todd Bowles is not a good head coach. He isn't. He is not. A, he's not. A, he's not a motivator, and some. And a lot of times, especially in today's NFL, you can ill afford. You know, the lead by example uh, shtick only works. You know, only works in certain environments and around, and around certain people. As a head coach in the NFL, with the way this team is, with all the adversity that they've had to deal with this season. All Todd Bowles is doing with the with his demeanor and the way he he's coaching this football team is setting them up for failure, and it also hurts them because and and Skip Bayless brought this up on his show and I think it's and I think it's a point that's worth repeating, you know that Todd Bowles in the past when he's solely a defensive coordinator he's got one of the best defenses in the sport and that's when his defense do the best work. Now these head coaches got to do fifty fifty with head coaching duties. And and thus he can't be all in, and and and, and you know and 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 and, and getting to the nooks and crannies you know with 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 his defensive game plans like he was when he was under Arian's leadership last year and in two thousand and twenty which plays a part in it as well which uh which plays a part in it as well and also like Green Bay Tim Bay can't run the football. Brady's throwing the football forty nine times. They're running the football combined sixteen times. Uh, 15 times between Godwin, Le- Leonard Fournette, and uh, and White, it's not good enough. They can't run the football. They combined as a team, ran, ran the football for 46 yards, 15 carries. Can't run the football. Balls in the Brady's hands all the time. All the time throwing football 49 times in a game. It's 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 it's, it's ridiculous. They can't run the football, and they couldn't stop it. Foreman, 15 carries for Carolina, ran for 118 yards. It's just inexcusable. Hubbard, 9 carries, 63 yards, and a touchdown. There is no excuse for Timmy Buccaneers to get dominated for four quarters by a team that traded trip Christian McCaffrey, fired their coach the week before, and is literally overtly tanking wave the white flag on the season selling off parts getting rid of Robbie Anderson Chris McCaffrey fired the head coach wave the white flag we're tanking this season's a wash bench Baker Mayfield Sam Donald ain't playing they're throwing out TJ PJ Walker and and they get and they get punched in the mouth 21-3 in late October completely unacceptable and for all the energy to basically get sucked out of them based on one bad play, one drop. And it wasn't like it was a drop that occurred, you know, late in the, th- in the fourth quarter that had an opportunity to tie the game up or take the lead. That happened, that, that happened in the, in, in the, in the earliest, earliest parts of, of, the, of, of the game in the first quarter. Still plenty of football left. Why let that one drop, that one mistake, that one gaffe, that one miscue, Debunk 
your or debunk your you, you know your 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 game plan or not your game plan but take all the energy out of you and th- and throw and throw and throw your mindset off course why i don't get it i do not get it um the uh the jets and giants keep and the bucks got to get things got to get things together fast and this game Thursday night between them and Baltimore is a very intriguing game. And, and I tell you, Tampa Bay is lucky that the Falcons lost to the Bengals on Sunday, and they're lucky that, it play in, that they play in the division that they play in. Because, uh, Lord Jesus, God help them if they were in the AFC East, the NFC East, because they, they, they'd be in a heap. They would be in a heap of trouble right now. A heap of trouble. Um... The Jets and the Giants keep on winning. The Giants, I tell you, Daniel Jones, is he the quarterback of the future for this team? No. But you got to – sometimes you just can't help you. You just got to tip your hat and give you and give and give the dude his flowers. Daniel Jones, gamer, baller, got the dog in him. I ran for 107 yards, 11 carries, and a touchdown. Uh, underrated, uh, an underrated dual threat quarterback in the league as far as his running ability and his athletic ability uh, is concerned. 202, 19 to 21 touchdown pass on the afternoon for him. Uh, as uh, he and Saquon Barkley, what a renaissance, uh, continued renaissance he's had this season for the Giants. 24 carries, 110 yards on the ground uh, for them as they somehow, some way, found a way to hold on and beat the Jaguars. 23 to 17 uh, a couple of i tell you and one of the things i took from this game is that this is a game that last year the year before the year before year before a game that the, that the giant that the giants find a way to lose whether it's saquon barkley twice within the last four minutes failing to uh failing to stay in bounds in the fourth quarter Stop and failing to, to uh, stop the clock, and or excuse me, failing to keep the clock running, stopping the clock, which could have costed the Giants in the end, uh, which which allowed them more time after the Giants uh, were kicked a field goal to make it twenty three seventeen when they were up uh, twenty seventeen, and the Jaguar, excuse me, the Jaguars had no timeouts left, um, and the, and the Giants defense giving up a fourth and fifteen that kept Jacksonville uh, in the game. Kept them alive during Jacksonville's final offensive drive. Penalty took away what would have been a game-sealing interception that seemed in that same drive too. And the Giants' fortunate goal line stand, final play of the game, uh, and did not allow um, and did not allow uh, Kirk Christian Kirk to get into the end zone uh, in the final play of the game when they had the ball at the Giants' 17-yard line. So, in years past, that's a game the Giants, uh, you know, lose. But this is the different Giants di- team, different coach Giants team, different Giants team. They find ways to win these games that in years past, they typically more often than not uh, lose. So, they keep winning. Oh, hats off to Brian Dabo. Uh, Barkley's ran the football exponentially well. Defense, not great, but a solid performance at the office. Um, uh, and Daniel Jones may not, he may not play like a Super Bowl champion, but he's got the heart of, but he plays with the heart of one. Uh, the other New York team, 
is the Jets, 16-9 and take care of business, beating the Broncos. They are an undefeated 4-0 and away from MetLife Stadium this season. 5-2 and in total this season. Defense did, an, did a sensational job. I said heading into this game that the, that the key to victory, and I get it, Russell Wilson didn't play, but the key to victory for the Jets heading into this game was were they going to make up more plays and make, make enough plays and where that play is going to be enough and more than Denver in order for them to win a game because we know Denver's got a top five, top four best defense in the history, or not in the history of the sport, but in the NFL right now. The problem, the issue lied is where the, where the Jets are going to be able to put the ball in the end zone enough uh, and once ended up being and once ended up being enough for the Jets in the first quarter. Uh, on their, um, let's see if I can get the play-by-play sheet. Uh, and there was a three-play, seventy-three-yard, uh, three-play, seventy-three-yard drive. Uh, Brees Hall, who's out for the rest of the season, tore ACL, broke it loose for a sixty-two-yard uh, run with seven thirty-four to go in the first quarter. So they just got some injuries that they had to deal that they did that they had to deal with. Made a trade uh, earlier. Uh, it was today, yesterday, made a trade. To, uh, to to get uh, Hall's replacement, who's out for the season with ACL, who's ran the ball exponentially well for the Jets on his young season. So it's a big loss for them. But, hey, when you're the Jets, you know, it, they can come pretty, they can come ugly. As long as you're getting wins, that's all that matters. You're 5-2, and two, you go 5-5 five and five for the rest of the season. You finish with a 10-7 and seven record. 16-9, to nine, the Jets win. The Jets and Giants keep finding ways to win. The Bucks and Packers keep finding ways to lose. We take a break, recap the other action across the National Football League. This is the Amatelica TIS Podcast. Welcome back to the um, Metallica TIS podcast to uh, conclude the week seven recap and then to close out and then we to close out the program. We will, excuse me, delve into uh, the uh, Ravens and Buccaneers on Thursday night. But we but where we will pick up with uh, week seven. And that is my Cincinnati Bengals are four and three. Uh, and are in second place in the AFC, uh, in the AFC North, only a half a game back of the Baltimore Ravens. Listen, I'm not going to come on here and pound the table and who they, who they, who they say going to beat the Bengals. The bottom line is with my Cincinnati Bengals, it's, it's, it's very, very simple. You're supposed to beat the Atlanta Falcons with a garbage, injured, beat up, beleaguered secondary, who can't, whose passing game is a lot left to beat. As you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to beat the hell out of the foul. You beat the hell out of the, out of the Falcons with a bit with a bit with a 
with a bad secondary and a substandard passing game, you're supposed to beat the hell out of the, or not, they didn't beat the hell out of them, but you're supposed to beat the New Orleans Saints, who had a beat, who also had a beat up secondary the week, the week, a beat up secondary the week before. No Michael Robinson, uh, for uh, in their wide receive in their wide receiving group and and going up against a uh, you know all time journeyman and and uh and your old quarterback in Andy Dalton. They're supposed to be winning these games. They're supposed to be beating these teams. Okay, the Cincinnati Bengals to me are not going to show me anything and not going to impress me then 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 I going they're not going to get me pounding the 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 super bowl now don't get me wrong I'm not changing my prediction I'm still holding standing firm on my prediction I'm still holding out hope that this team uh you know runs the table wins the division and goes back to super bowl so so the way I feel about the about the, about the uh the 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 potential of this team has not wavered my optimism has and in order for them to get my optimism back to where it was heading into the Steeler game in week 1 is for them to is for them to go is for them to go out there and uh and 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 and, and just kick ass and take names with every substandard opponent they come across and they're not going to get me to pound the drum and who they who they who they say going to beat them Bengals you know beating the beating the Saints and beating the Falcons back to back i'm sorry it's just, the way that the way that the Bengals get me back to going going cuckoo for cocoa puffs over them again let me let, let me see them beat the Browns for a change on Monday night something that they have not done in the Joe Burrow Zach Taylor era they've never beaten Cleveland never they never beat Cleveland. Let me see him beat Cleveland for a change. Jacoby Brissett in the five sacks against the Ravens. Let me let me let me see the Bengals' defensive pass rush. Let me see him get after Jacoby Brissett. But you know, get after him. Trey Hendrickson's had a, left the game with a stinger. Hopefully, he'll be ready to go with a, with an extra day off. Let me let me see let me see that Bengals' pass rush wreak havoc on Cleveland. Let me see let me see them try their. Let me see him essentially do. To a certain degree, what they did with the Falcons last week and make Cleveland play from a deficit. So, you know, to a point where they're down 17, 21 points to where, yes, they can run the football effectively against Cincinnati, but at a certain point in the game, it hurts them more than it helps them because they need to be able to get the ball in the air so they can drive down the field quicker, so they can go down the field, march down the field, and score touchdowns. But having said all that, back to Cincinnati. Beat Cleveland next Monday night. Beat the Panthers heading into your bye week. Come out the bye week, not flat as a pancake. You get a second chance on Sunday night. Walk into Pittsburgh, beat the piss out of Kenny Pickett, and and basically make that Steelers offense just just anemic. Get and get payback for Week One. Beat Tennessee and Tennessee again. And then then we can have a conversation about Cincinnati on the cusp of being back and where they stack up against Buffalo and and uh and Kansas City in the AFC once they play Kansas City the 425 game of the week on CBS on uh, December the 4th. But if Cincinnati kicks ass and take names this final game on the final day of October against Cleveland next Monday night and has a damn good November, then by the time they play uh Kansas City, 
once the summer rolls around, we can we can have a conversation on the Bengals really back this now. We 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 can we can do that. Beat Kansas City, we can do the memes again. Joe Burrow, Mahomes, whole nine yards, feel good about things, you know, and just keep on winning, keep on winning, keep on winning, keep on winning. There is no excuse. You look at the Bengals schedule. There is no excuse why this team should lose any more than two more games the rest of the season. There's no excuse. What, the Bengals can't beat Tampa right now? They they can't sweep Cleveland. They can't beat Tennessee. They can't, they, they can't Carolina tanking. I understand they play well against Brady. You don't want to over under, you don't want to overlook and underestimate an opponent, but they got a better roster than Carolina does. It's just face facts. I mean uh, Pittsburgh fluky fluky victory Pittsburgh week one. I mean come on. Only teams the rest of the way that scare me for Cincinnati is 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 against Kansas City and and against Buffalo and to their advantage those are both home games. So there's no excuse for the Bengals to finish any worse than 12 and 5. But it's but they're going to have to prove to me and prove to the masses that they're on their way to going no worse than 12 and 5, 12 and 5. 13 and 4 uh 14 and 3 by taking care of business close out October strong and then take care of business in November come out the bye week refreshed guys healthy and it's all systems go but I'm not going to go crazy and wave the pom-poms and cuckoo for cocoa puffs you know, because they beat the Saints and they beat the Falcons. I mean, come on. I mean, the the the, the last year that's one thing. This team that's the defending AFC champions. When I'm not, I'm not gonna woo and start waving the pom poms and go crazy and 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 and, and hype them up like like we did like we did when they were beating the hell out of teams last October. No, it's it's heightened and raised expectations. Am I going to kill Zach Taylor? No, but I mean, I wouldn't my Zach Taylor going up against the garbage that garbage Falcons team. I mean, he'd be an absolute moron if he didn't if he didn't go out there on Sunday and and look and look like the second coming of Paul Brown. I mean, let let's 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 call it like we see it here for a moment. Having said that, next sentence: Joe Burrow had a hell of an afternoon. Had a he had he had an he had a hell of an afternoon. He uh read just stats right quick. Joe Burrow, only quarterback in NFL history, and the hundred and three three year history of the National Football League, only one quarterback has been able to throw for to have five hundred total yards passing and run, running. And four total touchdowns in their career. One quarterback in the history of the sport. Joe Burrow is that Joe Burrow is that one quarterback. He uh he's got he's got twelve career passing touchdowns of fifty yards or more, five career games with at least four hundred passing yards for for the most su- most such games by a player in his first three games all time. Third player in NFL history with at least four hundred and seventy five passing yards and three T D passes and one a rushing touchdown in a single game. Burrow on the afternoon, 41, three touchdown passes, 
ran for a touchdown. Sensational afternoon by my guy Joe. And Tyler Boyd T. Higgins again and, and Jamar Chase, best wide receiving room in all of football. It's not even close. Tyler Boyd, eight receptions, 155, went off, caught a touchdown catch, nine targets. Jamar Chase, eight receptions, 130 yards, caught two touchdown passes in the afternoon. And oh, by the way, T. Higgins, five receptions, 93, not too shabby either. So the Bengals offense went out there and did what they were supposed to do. Great. Now do it again against Cleveland on Monday night. This, this, how, this is how they should have been playing since week one. Better late than never. But this is how they should have been playing since week one. Period. The Seahawks take care of business and beat the Chargers. As surprisingly, the Seattle Seahawks are 4-3 uh, and three on the season throughout the first uh, seven weeks. Um, no DK Metcalf for a, uh, for, a, uh, for a good period of time. We'll wait to see. Uh, we'll wait to see the you know the how he will uh, how he will bounce back. Kenneth Walker the third looks like the Seahawks might have found their uh, might have found their their next superstar running back one that they had not have had that they haven't had since uh, since Marshawn Lynch stopped walking through that door for good. Twenty three carries, one hundred sixty eight yards on the ground, ran for two touchdowns. Geno Smith played within his means, but those means were very well. Twenty or twenty seven. 210, two touchdown passes. You saw Pete Carroll on the sidelines look at him and tell him, listen, calm down, relax, take it easy. What does he go out there and do? Executes a huge pass that kept the uh, drive going for uh, They kept the drive going for Seattle. I mean, what a hell of a season he's had. He is the lead in the clubhouse, folks, for comeback player of the year. With that, with that, with that, with that, without even thinking about it, he is the leader right now. Comeback player of the year, Geno Smith. And if it's not, and if it hadn't been for Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys find a way to win four in a row after Dak went down and and the and the and the, and the uh, just absolutely phenomenal start to the season that the Jets and Giants have had, Pete Carroll also deserves to be in the conversation for Coach of the Year as well. He, Robert Sala, Brian Dable, and Mike McCarthy. Your, what, one, two, three, four candidates for Coach of the Year at this point in the season. Chargers win 37-23. The Chargers, I mean, my goodness, I mean... I don't know what the issue is with them. They can't run. They can't run the football. Keenan Allen never plays. Herbert's throwing football fifty-one times. Throws an interception. Got sacked three times. The Chargers turn over the football left and right. Fumbles. Just complete sloppy play. Herbert fumble. Eckler fumble. It's uh, I I I I don't get the Chargers. So so much for my AFC Championship pick. My goodness. Maybe maybe that was the real kiss of death. I hear this thinking that 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 I that it was the kiss of death me picking the Bengals. Lo and behold, maybe it was the Chargers, because this is a team that just cannot, for whatever the reason, get out of their own way. They 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 cannot. Self inflicted ineptitude, and then Brandon Brandon Staley, boy genius. Um, the Chiefs beat the living crap out of San Francisco, forty four twenty three. Patrick Mahomes put on an absolute show. Excellent job spreading the ball around. He was 25 for 34, 423, three touchdown passes. 
on the afternoon. Got Juju Smith-Schuster, MVS involved, as well as Travis Kelsey, non-national tight end day. Six receptions, 98 yards. MVS, three receptions, 111 yards receiving. Juju Smith-Schuster, his best game as the Kansas City Chief thus far. Seven receptions, 124 yards receiving, and a touchdown catch. Eight targets for him on the afternoon uh, as well. Uh, meanwhile, for the, so you give Mahomes and Kansas City and Reed a ton of credit, spreading the ball around, not trying to do too much, not trying to force the game and force the force the game, let the game come to them, and uh, and not always trying to uh, be so hell bent on trying to on trying to get the, the 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 big chunk play, but taking what the defense gives you. Best offense performance, obviously, they scored, they've scored the most points on the young season thus far. 44 points, Kansas City, Mahomes did a hell of a job. Wide receivers, hell of a job uh, for Kansas City. And then with the 49ers, you know, their defense was just taken to the damn cleaners. I mean, that an absolutely reprehensible performance. San Francisco 49er defense only sacked Mahomes once. I thought they were going to get to Bosa and the crew were going to get to Mahomes a lot more than once. I was extremely disappointed with how the uh, 49ers defensive front played uh, in the afternoon. It played on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, they did not. They uh, they let Juju take over. They let Juju uh, explode, take over the game. On the offensive side of the football, Jimmy G wasn't that was not wasn't uh, wasn't that was not uh, was not great whatsoever. Bone had an nine red zone interceptions. Got to throw the ball away and said he throws it. Did to the Chiefs defender falling away, uh, getting uh, bl- getting blitzkrieged up the middle. Uh, Thirty-seven pass attempts, twenty-five completions, one interception, got sacked five times. I thought it was going to be the 49ers defensive front that was going to have a field day on uh, on Patrick Mahomes. Turns out it was the other way around. Chiefs got after uh, Garoppolo five times. Uh, of course, they would played a huge part in forcing that goal line interception. Hell of a job stopping the run. Wilson, their highest leading rusher, seven carries, 54 yards. CMC, first game the 49er, getting his legs underneath them, only eight carries, 38 yards on the ground for him, and really did a great job of shutting down the uh, San Francisco 49ers offense as uh, the Kansas City outscored them uh, in the second half. Uh, 30 to uh, 30 to 10 in the second half, which ended up being a difference maker in the game. Uh, the Dolphins took care of business against the Steelers, beating them uh, 16 to 10. Why the hell uh, Mike McDaniel up uh, up you know uh, up uh, 16 up um what was the score 16 to 10 why in the world he he decides to bypass the three points to make it a two to make it a, a two possession game why he's why he's bypassing points and going for it on fourth down inside Pittsburgh's territory just take kick the damn field goal mike will you please will you please Pretty pleased with cherries on top. I mean, I, I I do not understand what 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 I do not understand what goes through what goes through his mind talking about uh, talking about you know analytics and I mean, come on, Mike, pay the hell attention. Okay, you kick the field goal; it's a two possession. You kick a field goal; it's a two possession game. You don't. You allow Kenny Pickett and Pittsburgh to somehow find a way to drive down the field, which they almost did at the end. The Tyler Gibbon with the touchdown, and then Boswell with the thirty—you know—with the quote-unquote chip shot extra point to to win the game. 
and you put all your pressure on your on, on your on your on your field goal uh block team to see if they can get a block and uh, and keep the game tight and force it in overtime. I tell you, man, I do not get these coaches overthinking these decisions and, and, and making their job harder than what it already is or what it needs to be, trying to show off how smart they are. Just kick the damn field goal and go up two scores. The hell you going for it for? You're up six. You're not up seven. You're not up eight. You're up six. Kick your field goal and make it a nine-point game. If you're going by field goals, that's three possession. Going by touchdowns, that's two. Kick your freaking field goal. And almost, almost came back to bite him in the ass. For one, for if Kenny Pickett throwing the uh, throwing the game ceiling, throwing the uh, throwing the um, game ceiling interception. To uh to Johnson at 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 the uh, at the in the uh, in the in the near the pylon in the end zone, it would McDan would have had to answer about it. Lucky Pickett threw the interception there at the end because he was driving down that final drive. Steelers' offense for once you saw during the Steelers' final offensive drive of the game for a change. They and you saw as they got deeper in, as the as the you know. Both teams struggled to put to score any to to put together any offense uh, in the second half. You saw the Steelers' offense for a change, uh, and Matt Canada open up the playbook, get a little bit more creative. If you're a Steelers fan, you'd like for them to not wait until the game is there to be had in the final closing uh, minutes of the fourth quarter to try to you know to to get more productive to be more productive on offense and to and to get a little bit more creative with the play calling. But you know, Pickett, hell of a, I, I was impressed by what I saw by him in his final drive. Moved the ball downfield, uh, moved it down, moved the ball downfield tremendously. Converted a, th- you know, converted a uh, a fourth and six, which kept Pittsburgh in the game at when he had the ball at the thirty-two yard line, uh, with sixty-six seconds to go. Um, it did help, you know, marched the ball six sixty-two yards, ten plays. Hell of a hell of a final drive for a rookie, but he couldn't finish it off in the end. Showed showed great showed great effort. I was impressed by what I saw by him. Only thing is, you know that that interception just cannot be thrown. It, bad bad, and that's something that he's going to have to work on uh, in the uh, in the weeks and in the seasons uh, that follow. But very fortunate. Uh, and Mc, and McDaniel should thank Pickett because if Pickett hadn't thrown an interception. Boy, oh boy, McDaniel would have had to uh, would have would have had to, would have had to answer for it, because I I just do not understand that logic of uh, of trying of going for it instead of just bypassing the easy points to extend the lead to nine. I I I still don't get it. Two days later, still don't get it. Uh, the uh, and then with the Bucks and the Ravens game coming up on Thursday night. That's going to be a very intriguing game. Looking forward to it. Uh, I, I I want to see whether or not uh, the Tampa Buccaneers will be able to 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 to, uh, to put to to find their offense again. Uh, you know the Cleveland Browns able to and the Jacoby Brissett was able to move the ball downfield, throwing the football in the air. Uh, tremend, uh not great, but very well. Uh, and and put up a significant and put up a twenty and put and put up uh what twenty points. 
uh, on Sunday. So able to move the ball downfield, only seven incomplete passes for Jacoby uh, in the game for Cleveland on Sunday. So I want to see if the uh, Timber Buccaneers, if they're able to uh, to put together any sort of rhythm, flow, consistency with their offense. Uh, if Brady's, you know, will the deep passes with uh, with will deep passes with uh, Godwin and with uh, Mike Evans will be there uh, in man to man coverage. I'm intrigued to see. I'm intrigued to uh, to see that. I'm also intrigued on uh, on how on if that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense will be able to uh, will be able to get its groove back against against the Ravens uh, off against the Ravens offensive line uh, the uh, Cleveland sacked Lamar Jackson three times on Sunday I'm intrigued to see if if the defensive front will be able to get some sort of mojo going something that they really have not had uh, about their defense in quite a while were they able to, to see if they can get that back and have a bounce back performance against Lamar Jackson uh, uh, coming up on Thursday Todd Bowles is playing, you know, playing a lot of his, a lot of defensive sets with the con, you know containing him with with the two deep with the two defensive uh, edge uh, with the two defensive uh, with the two defensive edge with the two defensive uh, ends on both uh, sides of the line. Will he put a spy back? Will he put a spy out there with uh, one of his linebackers? Uh, what will be the game plan to keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket and making him the throw and making him uh, throw the football uh, with, uh, with limited rollouts, with limited running and things of that nature. Um, this again, I'm also interested in seeing, you know, if the Ravens find themselves in a position, you know, if they're up, if they're up and winning this game, say by the score of 17 to seven with seven, with, you know, seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, will the Ravens find a way to hold on and win this game? Or will they allow, uh, you know, the goat Tom Brady to work his magic and move the ball downfield? In his with his offensive possessions, and find a way to uh, to assemble some uh, late fourth quarter magic, put the ball in the end zone a couple of possessions, tie the game up, and then uh, you know, and if the Buccaneers defense gets to Lamar, gets after him, sack, fumble, or uh, forces him to uh, an ill-advised pass at the end, uh, and gets him to turn over the football to set up shop for Brady to go down the field with a short field, maybe possibly. And, uh, and and get themselves in a position to kick, to kick a game-winning or game-tying uh, field goal late at the end. So if the Ravens hold on to a lead, I am very intrigued to seeing if they will put out, if they will pull out all, if they won't pull any punches and they'll pull out all the stops and all the tricks and do whatever they got to do to make sure that Tom Brady doesn't come back and win the game. Uh, because because Tom Brady and one of the reasons why he's the greatest of all time, he smells blood in the water. You keep Tom in the game, Tom eventually is going to find a way to get his team home. They're, they're three and four. They're not winless, so they'll find. So you give Tom an opportunity, which the Panthers didn't let, which the Panthers didn't allow. Steelers almost did, but it was too little, too late. Um, but it, when he smells blood in the water, he'll he'll find he'll find he'll find a way against all odds to to win a game that you know good and well uh, he had no business uh, that he had no business winning. Uh, in Tampa, I you know, and if in Tampa, do I, I can I expect them to get out to a hot start to begin the game? 
They've had a you know rough few weeks. They've started out slow and sluggish against Pittsburgh and against Panthers in the back in the in their back to back games. Will they uh, will they go out there and not uh, fought around and and hop on and pounce on the Ravens early? That being their first home game uh, since the uh, their first home game since the uh, Falcon game, will they pounce on the Ravens early? And uh, and ride the energy of the crowd and the momentum, you know, early on in the game, and uh, will make it a long night for the Ravens uh, and uh, Lamar Jackson and Harbaugh. That remains to be seen as well. But uh, it's a good game, uh, albeit both of the t- both of the uh, records aren't for these two teams aren't great. You'd expect you when this game was scheduled back in May, you expected Tampa to be a lot better than than three and four. Baltimore, you expected them a lot uh, for them to be a lot better than uh, them to be a lot better uh, than four and three. If Tampa wins this game, uh, they go they improve the four and four on the season and still re- maintain first place in the NFC South. If they lose, they uh, go in they go into a, a type of first place uh, or excuse me they fall to three and five, risking the opportunity. Uh, risking the opportunity that if Atlanta, uh, let me make sure, let me see who Atlanta plays right quick, uh, risking the chance that if Atlanta, uh, let me just double check and make sure they are on a bye this week, risking the chance that if Atlanta, uh, week eight, week eight, week eight, week eight, week eight, Atlanta plays Carolina this week, favored by four and a half points. So they, so Tampa with a loss, risks falling out of first place in the NFC South if Atlanta wins and proves the 4-4 four and four and takes care of business against Carolina coming up on Sunday. And not only that, if the rate, if the, uh, if the, uh, if the, uh, Bucks, um, lose, you know, that will happen with the NFC South, but it also will help the Ravens in their, in their quest and keeping, and being pace for pace with Cincinnati in the AFC North with Cincinnati having to, of course, obviously go out there and win and take care of business against Cleveland on Monday night. That would, that would put Cle that would essentially put Cleveland's 2022 season to bed and would, uh, and would help and would help Cincinnati keep pace with, uh, Baltimore having to make up for, uh, that loss on October, the uh, ninth on Sunday night here in the Charm City, and if Baltimore loses, that opens up the door for Cincinnati to, with a win on Monday night against Cleveland, to go into sole possession of first place in the AFC in the AFC North. In that situation, with with Cincinnati would be five and three, and the Ravens would fall to four and four if those if those events were to uh, pan out uh, in the end. But should be an intriguing game, should be an entertaining game. I'm looking forward to this game. It's the best scheduled Thursday night game, arguably, that we've had since Chargers-Chiefs. And if you want to bend it, if you want to embellish it a little, and I might be biased in saying this since, uh, since the, uh, at least heading into it, uh, the Dolphins and the Bengals, so it should be a good one. Lamar Jackson and Tom Brady. They've only met once in Jackson's career, and that was Brady's last uh during Brady's last season as a New England Patriot. As a matter of fact, let me quickly 
get the score for that game. That was a Sunday night game in November. I remember it well because I desperately wanted to go to wanted to go to uh that game but didn't. Baltimore won that game thirty seven to twenty. That was back on November third of two thousand uh, uh back in November third, two thousand nineteen, three years ago. Um, and matter of fact, let me also give you Brady's numbers against Baltimore in his career. Uh, this being the first, this being the first game that Brady has played against Baltimore as a Buccaneer, and most likely would probably be his last unless they were to meet up in the Super Bowl. Brady's numbers against the Ravens: eight and four, three thousand two hundred fifty-seven passing yards, sixteen touchdown. Uh, passes Brady threw for 285, one touchdown pass in their meeting back three years ago in Brady's final season as a Patriot. Lamar Jackson, 163 passing yards, ran for 63, excuse me, 61 rushing yards and three touchdowns back on that Sunday night in 2019. So it's an intriguing game. Looking forward to it. Playoff implications for both of these squads. Uh, Ravens trying to make it two in a row, and and Tampa trying to get back on track and avoid a three-game losing streak. And that is a, your show and another episode of Young Telecatelia's podcast in the books. If you like what you heard, there you go. Like what you heard, new to the program, please do not hesitate to subscribe. I will be back with you on Friday to preview the 2022 World Series, give you my prediction, preview game one, and recap this aforementioned Bucks and Ravens Thursday night game. It's your boy Jai Shields. Have a good rest of your week. I will talk to you on Friday. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. See you.